0: Thanks guys for those of you who pay attention to chapel schedules either on the board and by the post office or online uh, You may have been expecting Dr. Amanda Drury today And Mandy let me know at the end of last week that she's unable to be here And so we got a tag team going on and I got tagged to step in for the school of theology and ministry and talk about this next sermon in our series free to run on the Ten Commandments. But before I start that, I want to give a shout-out to the men and women's cross-country team. One finished seventh, one finished eighth in the country, and when you combine the results together, we're the fourth best cross-country team in the country. So yay to them. And a shout-out to the women's soccer team who won their match on Saturday. in In driving snow and have to suck it up and go to... Alabama in warm weather this Friday to compete. So congratulations to them. It's, uh, it's fun to be part of a school that does so well athletically and it does so well academically. And my prayer is that we do really well spiritually as well. So I want to invite my friend Nate Mabry to stage today. Yeah. Nate, you have a girlfriend named... Taryn? Yeah. All right. So I want you to imagine that Nate has a girlfriend named Taryn. Doesn't stretch your imagination. Does she know that? Yes. (laughs) Okay, she knows that. Good. And I want you to imagine that Nate has agreed to go to the library to study with her tonight. And they're going to meet at 8 o'clock. And one of his friends invites him to start playing Fortnite at about 745. And at 745, he's playing Fortnite and realizes that he gets a little conflicted because if he leaves, he's doing well in Fortnite, and he doesn't want to leave, but he's told Taryn that he's gonna meet her. And so he texts her at 7.55 and says, "Um, I'm studying with Jesse and I can't make it to the library. You know, one lie is not hard to keep in place. And so she texts back about five minutes later, what do you mean you're studying with Jesse? He's here. (laughs) So now he's got two things going on, two lies going on, and he says, Jesse, that stupid autocorrect on my phone, I meant Jerry. (laughs) And... uh, She says, well, what are you studying? He says, well, we're putting a presentation together tomorrow for our theology class. And uh, Jerry and I are putting it together. And then she texts back, what do you mean? I just saw Jerry's girlfriend in the library today. And she says, tomorrow he's gonna be in Indianapolis. (laughs) And so the lie, thank you, Nate. I could have done this (laughs) you know it's interesting in life how um, truth is so easy to maintain but sometimes some conflict comes and we utter a lie and then to back up the lie we utter another one and to back up that lie we utter another one until we're caught in a web of deceit that's hard to maintain Well, today as we continue our series on the Ten Commandments on Free to Run, I want to talk to you about the Ninth Commandment that's spoken this way by God. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So what is this talking about? Well, in a foundational way, a direct application, it relates to the judicial process of Israel they've come out of Egypt they've been slaves now they're living in freedom and God wants their life to live free freely and joyfully and he says you you need to understand something about truth you need to tell the truth when you're talking about the other guy in fact their judicial process was not based on stuff like we have today they didn't I mean there was DNA they just just had no way to, to analyze it and they didn't have ring doorbells on their tents one person thought that was funny and she's married to me and so. <laughs> in fact their judicial process was based on one thing it was the word of one person against another so if you made an accusation and the other person was on trial they brought in witnesses they brought in witnesses to support your side maybe that guy had witnesses to support his side and it was just based on truth telling or not and they made the decision based on testimony they were so serious about that, that to, to testify falsely was considered a perversion of justice. And if you testified falsely about that guy that you were accusing and he was acquitted, you got the, and it was determined that you had lied, you got the punishment that he would have deserved, which would make you careful about your accusations. In fact, worse than that, to testify falsely was really a failure of love. Not only were you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, but you were to love your neighbor as yourself. And what comes to the courtroom, don't lie, was the direct application of the command. But there's really a broader reality behind the command that we need to understand today. And I think we've been trying to figure out how do we take these commands that were given 3,500 years ago and apply them to our lives today. And I would say this. God cares about truth. God just cares about truth. Proverbs 6, 9 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Of those seven things, at least three of them, maybe as many as five of them have to do with something you say. God says it matters what you say because because truth matters. But it's not just an Old Testament thing from 3,500 years ago. In Revelation, it talks about the end of time. And it says the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts... The idolaters and all liars, their place, all what? Liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, most people, quite honestly, don't think little lies are all that big a deal. But God cares about them. And when you try to unpack it and say why, the reality is that truth is God's nature. Isaiah 65, Says he is the God of truth. John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, Jesus is in an argument with religious leaders one day, and he reminds them that the devil is the father of lies. He says, your father, the devil, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he's a liar and the father of lies. So when you lie, you're speaking the language. When we lie, I shouldn't just say you. When any of us lie, we speak the language of Satan. He lies to us about God. God says, my way for you is perfect. And he says, God's way is stupid. God says, my way for you is fulfilling. And he says, God's will is restraining. God says, my way will bring you joy. And he says, God's way is boring. Have you ever had one of those God moments where, whether it's in chapel or in a church on a weekend or, or or you're listening to something on, on a YouTube video, or you're just having your devotions and you feel this God nudge in your life where you're leaning forward or he's drawing you towards commitment, where you say, I could be more, maybe I could be more, and then a thought pops into your mind. You begin to discover something in you that's pushing back against commitment, pushing back against surrender, causing you to be fearful of it. Where does that come from? It's not from God. It's the father of lies, whispering in your life that maybe surrender is not that good of an idea, that God is somehow trying to limit us rather than creating a space in which we're free to run and serve him. But not only does he lie to us about God and his desires for us, he lies to us about lies. Go ahead and shade the truth. It doesn't matter. In fact, it will make things easier. Go ahead and make that cheat sheet that you take into you a test with you. You'll help, you'll pass the test. Don't worry that next semester you're taking a course that's based on this semester. And if you're not learn, learning it this semester, you're going to be in trouble next semester. Just do whatever is necessary for right now. Don't worry about lying, you can get away with it. Now, you, you realize that what the devil is saying to you, he's saying to somebody else as well. And if they're lying to you, how do you learn to count on their words? I don't know if many of you have bought a car, but I've bought some used car in my my lives, or whether your cars are just gifts from mom and dad, or you're driving that family hand-me-down. But, um, you know, if a car salesman says to you, this car was only driven to church on Sundays by a little old lady, we're suspicious about that. George Bernard Shaw said it pretty well. He said the liar's punishment is not that he's not believed, but that he cannot believe anyone else. Because if you start lying and the other person is lying, all of a sudden we have this attitude going on of maybe just everybody lies. In fact, in the New York Times, they did a survey and discovered that 91% of people say they regularly do not tell the truth. And digging down into that a little bit, they thought, how often do you not tell the truth? And they discovered that 20, 20% of people, that's one out of every five people, tell a deliberate white lie every day. So how do you lie? Let's talk about that for just a few minutes. Some of us just tell deliberate untruths. We, deliberate, we know it's right what it, the truth is we deliberately tell it either to promote ourselves or to protect ourselves. I'm going to go back in the way back machine to when my younger daughter was about five years old we were sitting at the kitchen table uh, we had a regular meal I don't know what everything else was I don't remember that but I remember we had peas I have a daughter who today sometimes is a vegetarian, she loves vegetables, but on that particular night she had decided that peas are not something she wanted, and so we're all eating whatever we have and she's avoiding the peas, and we, we do the mom and dad thing, eat your peas, Carrie, and she ignores them, she eats everything else, and finally we get to the end of the meal, and for some reason we decided that we were going to enforce pea eating green peas, you know, the vegetable, because it would be crude otherwise. Somebody else got it too. So we get up from the table and say, Carrie, you're going to sit there until you finish your peas. And we clean up the the kitchen, we do the dishes, Carrie just sits there and her peas are getting colder and colder and colder and colder and less appetizing all the time. They weren't good in the first place as far as she was concerned, now they have to be worse. We leave the room, her older sister, Heather leaves the room, Patty and I leave the room. We go back into the back of the house and, and I hear step, 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 thunk, step, 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 scrape of chair. So I come into the kitchen and Carrie's sitting there with a clean plate in front of her. The peas are gone. And I said, Carrie, did you eat your peas? Yeah, Daddy. And I said, okay. And I took the plate. There were still some scraps of other things. And I went over to the trash can. We had one of those trash cans that had a pedal on it. And you step on it and the lid comes up. And I look down expecting to see peas. I see a leaf of lettuce. And I lift the leaf of lettuce and there are the (laughs) peace. Not only did she lie to me, but she tried to hide it. I don't remember what happened next. Patty cried that we had a child who would actually think about lying to us, not knowing that that happens. I'm guessing every one of you have probably lied to your parents at one point or another. I don't need an amen. Maybe you lie to the prof about how much homework you actually did. Maybe you lie to your girlfriend about what you did instead of coming to the library. Maybe you lie to the cop about how fast you were going. Truth telling sometimes gets a little fuzzy in our world. But the deliberate untruth is deliberately forbidden by God. And then there's sometimes we get caught in this web of half-truth, of a deliberate half-truth. This is where it gets trickier, um, where we tell part of the truth, but not all of it. We're about to go into a political season where we'll see ads on TV and Facebook and YouTube at all kinds of times, where politicians are slamming other politicians. And they rarely tell you how good they'll be for you, they just want to tell you how bad the other person is. And one of the ads is going to say, this person voted to raise your taxes 75 times. Now they don't tell you why, they don't tell you that included in one of the tax packages was to keep your Pell Grant coming, which you wouldn't mind. They don't tell you that it was to keep police on the streets, they don't tell you all the good things taxes would cost. They don't tell you that if they were in the position they would have voted that way most of the time either. They just want to defeat the guy so they'll tell a truth but with an attitude about it that doesn't tell the whole story to try to get the other guy in trouble. Half truths. Intentions matter. I was in the mall way the other day, last Wednesday, as a matter of fact, after Dr. Joel Olafuentes spoke. And he was in the mall with his wife Rachel and their baby. Has anybody seen that baby? That's, she's really cute. And it's not hard to walk up and go, Wow, you guys did good. <laughs> she's gorgeous. But you understand, I've been a pastor for a long, 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 long time. I dedicated 40, 50, 60 babies every year. And every once in a while, a mom handed you a kid and you went, whoa. (laughs) And you didn't say I had the hiccups, but now they're cured. You didn't tell her that. She loved this baby. So what do you say? See, hey, I bet you love your baby, don't you? <laughs> Which is a truth. But you didn't need to hear the rest of it. Problem is with half-truths, it's a really slippery slope. And it's sometimes hard to determine whether motives are pure or not. So be really careful with telling things that are true, but only partly true. A couple other things kind of quickly. I think sometimes we get caught with exaggerations, which are not true, but they're designed to make us look better or to change the people's perceptions about us. Some exaggerations are just colloquialisms. Like you come in on a pounding rainstorm and you go, it's raining cats and dogs out there. No, it's not. You know, raining. Thud, thud, thud. Think how it would shred umbrellas. You'd get concussions and we'd be people laying out. What's wrong? It's raining cats and dogs. Snoopy just hit my best friend. Some, some exaggerations are just colloquialisms. But sometimes we say stuff just to impress people about ourselves that aren't entirely true. And an exaggeration that's not true in order to impress is a lie. Think about the idea of gossip. Gossip may or may not contain the whole truth, but it's designed to destroy. Here, let me kind of head towards the finish on this sermon. We got a few minutes to go, so don't pack up yet. But I want to talk about what steps we could take in this whole area of truth and untruth. One of the first things I'd encourage you to do is declare deliberate war on untruth. Declare all-out war on untruth. Ask God to make you sensitive to your words, to truth, to lying. Make a commitment that whatever you say will be true. If in the middle of the conversation you've realized you've shaded the truth, stop and say, I'm sorry, that wasn't entirely true, let me tell you the truth. Uh, This is an issue that I had to deal with in my life and it related to exaggeration. I was a pastor of one church for 41 years, when we went there, there were 24 people, that was the first Sunday. Got back to 50 pretty quickly and then, then we just struggled to grow and it grew so slowly and I remember when we were bumping 100, it took a long time to get to nearly 100 people and I'd go to pastor's conferences. And you know when pastors gather together, what the, what the question often is, how's the church going? And then they'd say, how big is it? And I remember a period of my life when we were struggling to burst, break through a, a hundred people. I mean, eventually, eventually attendance was nearly 3,000 or over 3,000 every weekend, but not for a long time. And at that hundred barrier, I wanted to look better than I really thought I I looked, and so I'd say, it's going pretty good. We're running about 100. And the truth of the matter is, we'd only had 100 once in the last six weeks. The Lord would nudge me. John, you're just exaggerating, lying to make yourself look better. So I got into the habit when something like that happened, when it popped out of my mouth. Say, I'm sorry, that's not true. We've only had 100 once in the last six weeks. In fact, last week we had 91. The week before was 94, that was not bad, but the week before that was 79 and I just kept quoting numbers over the last six or seven weeks because pastor remembers those kind of things and I did it long enough until their eyes glazed over. I don't care. I did it long enough until two things happened. One is they learned not to ask me how big my church was and I learned to tell the truth about it. In fact, I got to the point where I just quit telling people how big the church was unless they asked specifically. And then I didn't try to tell too much because eventually God blessed us in some pretty amazing ways and I didn't want to make myself look better. It was God used us, but it's a slippery slope trying to exaggerate to impress people. Declared deliberate war, all-out war on untruth. I think combined with that, you can combine, you can declare war on negativity. Look at this passage of scripture from Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor for we're all members of one body. He goes on to say in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Here's a pretty good set of questions to think about when you think of your conversations with other people, with what you say. Ask yourself, is this statement that I'm about to make true? Is it true? And is it helpful? Because sometimes truth isn't helpful, it's hurtful in a moment. Is it true? Is it helpful? And is it necessary, at least now? There are some conversations that you have in private with somebody that you don't that they may be they need to be confronted but they don't need to be confronted in front of 50 people. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it necessary? One last thought. Declare all out commitment to God. In Luke chapter 6 it says the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings evil out of the evil things stored up in his heart for it's out of the overflow of his heart that his mouth speaks you know if you want to be a truth teller if you want to live in the freedom that God has created so that we don't have to worry about what we have said just say what is true but to say what is true lean into Jesus let him purify your heart because it's out of your heart that your mouth speaks Truth telling begins with a spiritual commitment and it continues with a spiritual commitment. I'd like us to pray a prayer today, and it's found in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. That's a spiritual issue. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. That's an issue of ego and trust. See if there's any offensive way in me. That's an issue of disobedience or neglect sometime. We're just not paying attention. And then lead me from wherever you find me, and whatever you discover in me, lead me into the way everlasting. That's a prayer of commitment. And what I'd like us to do is pray that out loud together, and then just sit in silence for a minute while we let God speak to our hearts. Would you join me in this prayer? Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. Let's just reflect for a second. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are God of grace and truth. That you love us so much you meet us exactly where you are, but you love us so much you're not willing to leave us there, and you call truth out to draw us forward. I pray that around this room, in this room, every person will sense your nudge right now about truth telling. May it not just be the narrow part of the legal process of telling the truth in court, but we, may we speak the truth in love in our lives so that you're honored in every relationship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're set out.